0: We are actually rounding the corner on our series where we're going through this book called God and My Everything. So this book right here, God and My Everything, we're going through it in our small groups and we're going through it in weekend services and talking about each of the chapters in service as well. This is a really, really, really good book and I, I can't encourage you enough, if you haven't gotten this book, uh, we have them for sale back there for ten bucks a piece or you can just take one and let me know you took it and then we'll it'll be fine. It's only stealing if you don't tell me. But if you really don't want to tell me, you can take one and you're not going to get in trouble. That's what's going to happen. So, great book. It talks about a trellis for your life, a support system for your life that's to support your spiritual life with God. So, this is a trellis from a garden, also called a rule from a garden. And this allows plants to climb up it and get into sunlight so they can be maximally healthy and receive the nutrition and sunlight that they need to grow. And so, a trellis for our spiritual life, it's a figurative thing. And he talks in this book about this, uh, Sabbath, prayer, sacred reading, the scriptures, friendship, sexuality, family, money, play, justice, work, witness, all these things make up the trellis. And today we are in uh, in the second part of the trellis, in Restore, where he talks about the body. But the whole idea is that we are to um, to make a rule for ourselves, to support our life with God, to make sure that we grow healthy. As when we don't have a trellis that we set up intentionally, we have a haphazard kind of rule for life where you know vines will grow on anything that's around them up, up, a, up a fence, on a boulder and a rock. they're always trying to find sunlight vines are. But the trellis lets it, it, it's a way to point that plant to the Sun and that, sun, that will grow towards towards the Sun. That is uh, everything that touches Jesus grows no matter what but a trellis for your life, an intentional rule, of life that you use uh, can make it all the more impactful. So as I said, today we are in this section on the body. And So these are, to- these are topical sermons. Usually we go right through a book of the Bible, uh, but we're going through these topics together in service. Uh, so we're going to be in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I want you to notice the body language. The body language? The language about the body in Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This, along with a lot of other scriptures, actually talk about offering your body to God, You know, your, your, your very self to God. Now, in, in Christian history, because of different types of philosophy that were propagated around the time people were making theology, sometimes uh, the body was seen as a dirty, bad thing, and the spirit was seen as being a good thing. So we want to, you know, basically ignore the body, the physical body, and focus on the spirit. That's a problem, because the body, the mind, the spirit are all one. And what happens to your body also happens to your spirit, in a way, if you will. Um, and this is, this is a really interesting thing to think about. But In this one passage, it talks about your body. I'm going to be vulnerable with you this morning as my church family. And uh, I'll let you know about what my fast was during the first three weeks of the year. I, I actually made a, a, a change where I used an app to track everything that I put into my body. Like food, you know, drink, whatever I ate. I, uh, I use the tracker because I'm trying to become conscious of what I'm eating, what I'm putting into my body. Um, and that might seem like a really silly thing to people people that are you know, in a much better shape, a much better place in their life. But for me, this is like a, something I really needed to do. And it wasn't something I just wanted to do for the first three weeks of the year. It's something I want to, I want to sacrifice my freedom to just do whatever I want without keeping track of it and give that to God and submit, submit to this and say, look, what, what, what does nutrition look like? These apps are amazing. If you look at like MyFitnessPal or something like that, they track all these different types of nutrition. You learn like, what does the body need? You know, I didn't grow up learning about what the body needed from anybody. We just kind of ate whatever was around, mostly sugar cereal and television, you know? <laughs> so it's a really cool, it was a cool fast for me to become conscious instead of unconscious about eating and then to to track this stuff. And it was very liberating and good. I didn't do it perfectly the whole time, but I got started and I learned things about nutrition. I even talked to a nutritionist and learned more about nutrition. And I think that's a really great thing and something I'm carrying into the the new year. So uh, that's something I'm bringing bringing with me into the new year. And I figured today I'd be vulnerable with you and share that with you, because the message today is you have to start somewhere. And I figure that a person like me that doesn't have this all figured out is the best person to speak on this topic. Because none of you will feel judged by me, someone who's so clearly a work in progress. You know, I'm, I'm figuring this stuff out for myself. I don't judge people when they don't have it figured out. And I want you to know that you can start anywhere with, as far as taking care of your body to glorify the Lord. You have to start somewhere. And this is how I'm starting. Health in the physical body has always been something that I'm painfully conscious of. You know, from the time when I was a child, I was a bigger kid, and it's all about wanting to to fit into the background when you're a teenager. You don't want to be noticed for any particular reason. And when you're a bigger kid, especially in summertime when you're going swimming in the lake or whatever, you know, it's something people notice. So I'm that kid. I'm swimming in a a cotton t-shirt because I'm ashamed to be around my skinny friends. Um, and so it's really ironic, I don't know what I was thinking, but the t-shirts I swum in, I was thinking about this morning, I had a Spam t-shirt, it was my favorite t-shirt, and I used that to cover myself, because I was, it's like, are you seeing this is, irony here? You feel shame about this thing, and you're covering it up with Spam. And the second shirt I used, I'm not even kidding you, a Pillsbury Doughboy shirt. So you're just, you're just asking for it, you're asking for something to poke you in the stomach. But, um, but growing up, if, 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 you, if you had, if you were a bigger kid growing up, you know, this is just like a, a death sentence to yourself. You just feel, it's, you make it feel so insecure. And then other kids and the adults around you don't seem to have any compassion. They just, they'll tear you down for that thing that, uh, that you struggle with. And you end up in this place of shame and sadness. And it's really, really, really rough. I can't really decide if this next story is a good story or not. I'll let you be the judge of this story. But when I was a child of 11 and 12 years old, my mother was a part of Weight Watchers group and she started bringing me to the meetings. So as an as 11, 12 year old, every week I had to weigh in with all the other middle-aged women there. And not, not, nothing wrong with middle-aged women, just saying this was all middle-aged women and me as a 12 year old. Every week I would I would dread the day, and I'd be like, let's not eat during this day. I don't want to like tip the scale the wrong way. I don't want all these, my friends here, the middle-aged women to. Um, and now, ironically, some of my very best friends are middle-aged women, so, and also I'm middle-aged, and we're all going to die someday. Um, so 11, 12 years old, I weighed in every week with the adults, I was like a real member, and. uh there was all kinds of interesting stuff that happened. The nineties were 80s and 90s were a weird time for dieting. You know? I, I think what well, dieting was pretty weird back then. Uh, but basically you hear a motivational speak speaker share about their success and about what they're eating and share recipes and talk about how awesome how we can all do it too, you know? And they give you packets and things. And I'm not kidding you. The lady who was in charge of the Weight Watchers group was named Diane Power. Diane Power. What a cool name for a motivational weight loss guru. That was the, the Power Method. Um, it can't get much more classic than that. I also remember, you know, my my next door neighbor was was a bigger kid too and she was one of my best friends and her mom, when we came over there, she she'd she suggested we join her doing Sweating into the Oldies with Richard Simmons. So, it's just such a weird, what a weird thing for a kid to go through. Like, it's so like, It makes you painfully conscious of your body. That You kind of wish your body would just disappear, that no one would see it anymore. And as we know, physical body issues, food issues, weight issues can be very healthy the other way as well. It can be vanity, you know, trying to look a certain way for vanity's sake. It can become an obsession. It can become uh, disordered is what I like to say. And my grandmother, my, my father's mother, who I've talked about a few times here, uh, she was anorexic. So you wonder, where where are these issues come from? Well, they come from your family. She was actually anorexic. She was a very tall woman. I think she was 5'11". And she weighed 85 pounds. And she, like, you know, she was really small. And every morning, get a, she was very disciplined. And uh, I'd go down to, like, the breakfast nook. And she was there with a big pile of vitamins. She just ate these vitamins for breakfast. That's like all she had, vitamins and water. And your house is filled with weight loss journal magazines. It's like hundreds of these things just sitting around. I wonder if she put them around for me. I don't even know. But um, one time, my parents were not in the house. They were shopping because she had no food in her house. And as soon as they left, she lined us up and weighed each of us on the scale. And she told us, this is your height, this is what you should weigh, but you're overweight. And she, she judged each of us. So once again, not a great experience. Not a great experience. I still remember my sweet older sister, who's one of the sweetest people I've ever met, crying these big tears. My, my mom came home and just reamed my grandmother out so bad. <laughs> she was so angry. And we all know that health issues like excess weight and body issues are sometimes brought on by other factors. You know, years ago, I put on extra weight because I had a season of depression that I went through. It was really crazy. I wasn't really conscious of the fact that I was, I was depressed at the time. But there was just something wrong with me. I just was, was not doing super well. And Jack, Jackie knew, she goes, I think there's something wrong. I think you need to talk to somebody. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. But when you have a depressed season in your body, your whole body slows down. Everything slows down, and you just gain a ton of weight. And it's really depressing. Which, so, <laughs> it doesn't really help with your depression. Um, so, you know, nine years ago, almost 10 years ago, I was running half marathons, and then bam, you know, like, like a punch to the gut. All this extra weight came on, it made me feel bad. It just made me feel bad. Just like I did when I was a kid. I'm being vulnerable and telling you these personal things about my life because everyone has their own stories to tell about being disordered in regard to their physical bodies. Whether it's anorexia or other issues, um, we have a lot of disorder in this part of our lives. Even something as innocent as a fast that we do together or Lent that we do together, those things, for some people, can trigger them these serious uh, issues and as your pastor I want you to know that I am actually on the same journey that you are some skinny people see themselves as being fat you know when I was running half marathons I still viewed myself as being a big guy which I was but not that big you know some larger people uh, feel judgment from others who don't know their entire story if they figure you're like a lazy 600 pound life reject from TLC Um, but whether it's it's how we view ourselves how we feel about how others view us, the result is the same, it's shame and disorder, another good word for sin is disorder we think about sin as being a particular behavior that sins against God but but it's the disordered life, you inherited some sin from your family you were sinned against, you were abused all this stuff that's happened to you, you you've been a victim but at the same time Being a victim has disordered how you look at things. Sin is all about disorder. And Jesus died for sin. All these complicated issues surrounding the body and health do not take away my belief that taking care of our bodies is a very, very important part of our trellis. Even though we are broken or depressed or feel shame about how we do or do not look, Jesus wants to set us free from shame. That's what he wants to do. And help us to become ordered in regard to our physical bodies. Because how can you offer to God your body as a living sacrifice if you're so disordered in your body and how you look at yourself? But Jesus wants us to go from shame and disorder to to becoming ordered in regard to how we see our bodies. Now, Jesus died on the cross so that we would not have to live in shame. That's one of the reasons Jesus died on the cross. Guilt is about feeling bad about something you've done. Shame is about feeling bad about who you are. And Jesus died for shame. He died for our sins, not just disobedient things we did, but simply the painful sin that we're all marinating in of our background, our families, and abuse we've suffered. Jesus died on the cross... So that we could be made perfect. Now, even as we journey towards being made whole and holy. I got this bit of theology from Hebrews 10 14. And just listen to the words here. For by one sacrifice, Jesus on the cross, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We're in a perfect state because of Jesus. Things are ordered because of Jesus. And as he looks at us with that gaze of love, he sees perfection, and then he guides us to wholeness, to holiness. That's how Jesus works. I think that's really cool. The gospel, the good news is that for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, God sees us as already being perfect in his eyes, no matter how imperfect we may feel. By one sacrifice, God made us perfect through Jesus, and then he leads us on a journey by his spirit to being made holy, to being made whole, ordered, as we walk this thing out. So in a very real sense, the gospel is already not yet. You're already made perfect, but you're, not, but you're being made holy. There is no condemnation. That's why there's no condemnation on people that trust in Jesus. God sees them as perfect. There's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with how he sees us he does not he is not waiting to punish us for when we screw up he's standing there to help to help us that's called sanctification when we get set apart for God over the course of our life we have more and more of our lives handed over to God including our, our bodies handed over to God that's what it says in Romans 12 offer your body right but no shame that's what being perfect is all about. There's no shame. As I said, you know, some, some, some people have body dysmorphia where they view themselves as being fat or skinny, even though they may not be. But us Christians walk around with spiritual dysmorphia. We look at ourselves, and we see ourselves as dirty, rotten sinners. But that's not true. We've been made perfect by Jesus. So by faith, by faith we receive the real view of ourselves, that though you sin and though you are a sinner at times, you have been made perfect by Jesus. There is no condemnation for you. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Jesus took care of it on the cross. So spiritual dysmorphia is a problem too. And a lot of Christians walk around with those feelings. That's the good news of the gospel. And taking this good news in deeply, even in these very painful areas of our lives, where God is tenderly touching us and working in our lives, Taking in this truth is the only way to get rid of shame that I know of, so that all of our lives are bathed in the light, not in darkness. So God, you know, God cares about the body. I read in Psalm one thirty nine, they're called to worship. For you created my inmost being; you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful; I know that full well. How's that for an identity marker? Fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made perfect by God. Fearfully and wonderfully made. When God made man and woman in these physical bodies we carry around, He made us to have dominion over the world that He made. He said, Your physical body is very good. It's completely useful for ordering my creation on my behalf. And let's not forget, Jesus Christ came in a body. Flesh and blood, body. So our bodies, as much trouble as they might cause us, are just very good, very beautiful gifts from God. And Jesus affirms the truth that God is not disgusted by our bodies or what happens in our bodies. He, he's God went, went, went the extra level to embrace having a body, according to Philippians 2, so that we could have an example in how to live our lives. As Ken points out in our book, the living God indwells our bodies. This is the second reason that the body is so important to God. The living God indwells our bodies by his Spirit. And our bodies are not our own, but belong to God. First Corinthians six, in my sexuality sermon, I shared this passage, but in 1 Corinthians 6 19, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought with a price. Therefore honor God with your Bodies. That's more body language in the Bible that we often overlook. Honor God with your body because you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the Holy of Holies now. The dwelling of God is no longer in buildings, in special places, in special buildings, in special lands, but the dwelling of God is now with men and women in their bodies. It's awesome. And we're not our own. And finally, the verse I started with, Romans 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And notice it doesn't say, offer your soul to God. It doesn't say, in view of God's mercy, offer your spirit to God. It says, offer your body to God. As an act of worship. So these bodies we get, as much as they might cause us trouble, they're good gifts from God, the temple of the Spirit, fearfully and wonderfully made. And no matter how disordered they can become, they're good. They're good. And for this reason, we are to honor God with our bodies. In our book, Ken says it so well. He says, physical practices are spiritual practices. Because the body is completely integrated with the Spirit. What happens to the body happens to the Spirit. They are intertwined. That whole, that whole picture of depression is such an interesting picture because what happens to your spirit then happens to your body. And sometimes it's the other way around. Something that happens to your body happens to your spirit. You, you become thoroughly depressed to the point of being unable to do anything about it on your own. So what happens to your body does happen to your spirit. What happens to your spirit happens to your body. They are one and the same. They are important. They're intertwined. So the trellis of our spiritual life with God must involve caring for the bodies he's given us. With adequate sleep, with nutritious food and water, and with some kind of movement. God's created us to move, to, to consume, to, to run, to, um, to enjoy all these wonderful gifts of creation. I don't want to put Mike on the spot, but I love, I love watching Mike's Facebook feed. All the, all the beautiful gifts of creation are on his Facebook. All the food that they, got, they eat and places they go. These are amazing gifts God's given us to enjoy. Uh, we were at a friend's house here, and they served us hot pot. So we had hot pot with them, this really cool thing. I mean, you were sweating You were sweating this amazing food. It becomes part of your body. You know, these are gifts to be enjoyed. Sometimes, sometimes an experience of eating something amazing can actually benefit your spirit, your very soul, because it's just an amazing experience, amazing tastes. God's created the body for these amazing experiences. My father is uh, deaf, and he had one cochlear implant installed, and now he can hear through the cochlear implant. He had the opportunity to have two cochlear implants, But because there's a small chance that his sense of taste could be destroyed because it's so closely related to the sense of hearing, he chose to only get one because he loves my mom's cooking. That's nice, huh? I love you so much, I'm not gonna get that brain surgery. But we are to honor God with our bodies, through nutrition, through water, through movement, Uh, This is to be the trellis of our life. So, in a very real way, perhaps a routine at the gym or a routine of of hard work becomes for you a spiritual practice, like like praying, like reading the Bible. You know, when my alarm goes off on Mondays, I know it's as tired as you might be. Get up and go to the gym. It's God calling me to worship move that elliptical like a really good middle-aged woman. <laughs> I sound so sexist and awful right now, and ageist, but I'm not, I'm just, it's a callback. you got to listen to the beginning of the sermon. I have, by God's grace, you know, moved beyond the shame of not being where I want to be in my body to the point of actually being proud of the trellis I've built in this last year. In many ways, believe it or not, it's been a great year for me, health wise. It's been awesome. So, this is my baby trellis. I think this was subconscious. I wrote baby trellis because I'm just a baby. But um, by God's grace and view of God's mercy, offering my body to Him means tracking food to become conscious of what I'm putting into my body, learn about nutrition. And my motivation underneath that is not vanity, but it's instead to desire to honor God with my body, to be healthy, and to be present for my wife and my kids and my church. Another part of my trellis is, is exercise. I love to exercise so much. For some reason, it's, it's great. So I love used to be a runner. Tuesdays and Thursdays I lift with my friend in his uh in his church basement. We lift weights and do some exercises like that. And then two other days I do cardio at the gym, and I really enjoy that. That's another another part of worship. And once again, this is not motivated by vanity. I feel like I'm too far from that to be to be tempted by it but um, but, it's, but it's motivated by wanting to honor God with my body. I feel I truly feel that the shame is now there. It's just all about God and putting Jesus at the center of my life. A good friend in the church years ago, he had small children, they're older now and even adult children, but he remarked to me, "Oh, I started I started lifting and doing weight training even though I've never done that before." And I'm like, "Oh, really why?" He goes, "I want to be able to lift my kids." Because he felt he was too weak to really play with his kids. So part of him honoring the Lord with his body was, I want to get to a place where I can be there for my kids. That's a really cool thing. I never forgot that. Another part of the trellis for me is sleep. I love to sleep. I've had insomnia issues and other issues with sleep uh, in my life. But in the last year, I figured out how to sleep longer and to sleep better. That's been great. Um, And again, whether it's eating, moving, drinking, sleeping, this is all stuff that makes your spirit better, makes your spirit well, makes you become in order instead of being disordered. Due to Ken's book and how he honed in on these things as being spiritual in the matter of putting Jesus at the center of your life, God is actually reordering my life so that instead of shame, instead of sadness, instead of judgments for myself and on myself and from others and those other things, my desire to be more healthy is rooted in my desire to honor God. And that's just the way it's supposed to be. And again, if I was like this close to having an amazing beach body, I might be tempted to be like, oh, I'm doing this for vanity's sake. I'm just not even close to that. Everyone's got their own journeys. And I thought this morning that Maybe seeing an example of someone who's severely in process with these things would be helpful. So that in your life, whatever God's calling you to do with your trellis, and it's going to be different for everybody. Some of you are really, really good at this part of your trellis and not so good at other parts of your trellis. But this, this body part, um, we learn to honor God with our bodies together. I'd like to end with uh, this amazing passage of scripture. Typical pastor loving scripture, right? Um, God cares about our physical bodies. He tenderly desires to meet our needs. So God isn't always just saying, you need to pray more, you need to trust in me more, you need to memorize more Bible verses, you need to not be so depressed and just trust in me. That's not what he does. He says, friend, you need some rest. You need some restoration. And the reason that he has this compassion is because, in Psalm 103:14. He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. And Jesus was in a body, tempted in every way that we were, but without sin. He knows what it's like. And so he offers a helping hand, not a condemning one. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah, the prophet of God, has challenged the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And it was an amazing victory. Basically, they set up these different altars and they said, okay, the true God is going to send fire from heaven to consume what's on the altar. So the prophets of Baal, they built their altars, they chanted, they prayed, nothing happened. And then God's altar was set up. And Elijah was very brazen. He poured water on it so that it would be hard to lay on fire. Um, and the fire fell, fell from heaven and consumed not just the sacrifice on the altar, but the water, the stones. I mean, it turned to glass, pretty much. Because God had this great victory and showed that he was the true God. An amazing moment for Elijah. But right after this happens for him, this big emotional high, like winning the big game. It says in First Kings 19, Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. Because Queen Jezebel swore that she was going to kill Elijah for what he'd done and putting her gods to shame. So he was running, he was afraid, he was running for his life. It says when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Well, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Prayed that he might die. So this is someone with a death wish, who's suicidal, who's so upset and depressed about their life, they just want to to die. They're praying for death. It's a big up and a big down. He said to, to the Lord, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He lay down under the bush and fell asleep. So pay careful attention to what God does. God doesn't condemn him or reprimand him for his lack of faith or be mad at him because he's depressed. It says, All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. Remember he's in the wilderness. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate the bread and drank, and then laid down down again. This is nap number two for Elijah. The angel of the Lord gave him some time there to sleep with a full belly. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb. That's a good workout the mountain of God and there he went to a cave and spent the night and the Lord, it's a great story I mean if you could read about Elijah in 1 Kings 19 it's an excellent story But I just want you to notice that God is not condemning of people he's not reprimanding Elijah for not being faithful enough for hey you saw me, you saw the great thing I did at Mount Carmel why are you now losing your faith, what's wrong with you you know, get up and do more. Try harder. No. Elijah falls asleep, and an angel of God, representing God, woke him up, gave him fresh bread over hot coals and water, and then let him go back to sleep. The second time. That's what the Lord God does. That's the Lord. You now, God is not about shaming us in the area of our bodies. Now, God invites us to follow him and allow his spirit to order our lives. To eat, to drink, to rest, and move in ways that promote health of the body so that we can glorify God with our bodies. So that the health we bring into our physical body comes into our health and our spiritual inner person as well. I just love how, at that moment of Elijah's lowest point, the angel touches him and invites him to eat, lets him sleep, Elijah's depressed, he's exhausted, he's scared and desiring death. And God offers rest for his soul. Rest for his soul. Think about that glass of water you drink when you're really, really hot. You've been running and you're, just, you're so thirsty. How good, how restful that water is. Or eating something when you have no calories in your stomach. And you're just so hungry. Or, you're t- or just the thought where... I'd like nothing more than to fall asleep right now. I'd like nothing more than to be in bed because I'm so tired. And as soon as you hit the pillow, you sleep. And these are important things to God. But God does not offer a spiritual solution or a passage from the Bible. He offers them two naps, two loaves of bread and water. And that speaks to me. We need those same gifts allowed to receive from God and as we receive these physical gifts from God, we find ourselves in a place where we can flourish spiritually. Because when we honor our physical vessels, our bodies, to God as a living sacrifice, our souls can also find rest, even as our body is rejuvenated and resting. Now, we are not our own, bought with a price. So together with me, let's learn to honor God with our bodies. And offer these vessels to God as a living sacrifice, as our spiritual act of worship. Because as believers, we know that these bodies are not just going to disappear someday. But we know for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that God is going to resurrect the bodies and bring them back together, and the bodies are going to be glorified. They'll still have the scars. And the stretch marks and the, the markings of, from our life on them, they'll be glorified and they'll be eternal. I'd like to invite the worship team forward. We're going to sing a song about God's worthiness and how much, uh, how much He desires to draw near to, to us, not just in this area, but in every way. No matter what we need, He wants to help us.